1: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading dying. The word of the Lord comes to us this morning from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter number 8, verses 18 through 23. <clears throat> for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. May the Lord bless his word.
0: Let's ask the Lord to bless us. Also, having such a slew of babies recently, we'll thank God for them as well as we come to. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your grace and mercy. Uh, We thank you for the birth of Aston Dunn, of Oliver Crane, of Caitlin Brooks, of Hazel. Uh, And Lord, we we praise you uh, that, for Hazel Wooten. We th- praise you, Lord, that you have given these children. We praise you that you have blessed us with these new lives, choosing in each case uh, what child would come and the particular gifts and personality and abilities of each child. We thank you for the personal gift each child is to these families. We lift you up, Lord, that you would be so gracious to them and to us. And we pray that you would bless these children with continued health. You would grow them in your grace. That, Lord, you would bless these couples with grace to lead these children, to bless these children with the very love of Christ. But uh, Their love for each other and their love for their children would be, Lord, an unveiling of the beauty and glory of God to them. Father, we pray that you would um, give them diligence and give them care, give them love, give them the ability to pour out their hearts for these children. And Lord, transform these children, draw them after Christ, bless them for your glory and honor. Lord, as we come to your word, we, by nature, were refusing your word, would not submit to it, We're hostile to you, but you have made us by Your grace, to desire Your Word to some degree. Lord, we confess that we don't desire it as we should. We confess that in our honor to You, it's, there's much lacking in it. So, Lord, oh, take us. In our weakness, even this morning, You have said that we can do nothing apart from You. Certainly, we cannot worship. Certainly, we cannot hear Your Word and be changed by it. May this Word, this Word of the glories to come encourage us and give us hope and give us a vigorous life here in hope of the glory of God that is coming in such a marvelous way, not only for us, but for this whole creation. Bless us and nurture us in your word, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I, I heard a lot of times, not just as a child, but even among the PCA from different people, that there are two things that are permanent in this world, the word of God and the souls of men. And I was reminded at several of that several times by people when they were really wanting to make a strong point to say, just remember, remember, the only two things that are permanent in this world, that's the word of God and the souls of men. And of course, before I knew any better, I just thought, yes, you know, this is a this is a motto for life. This, this, this makes life fit where it should and, you know, the things that are important are important and things that are not important are not important. Of course, one of the things not important in that scenario is my body and this whole world. <laughs> That's pretty big, really. But we read in this passage that not only the Word of God and our souls, but our very bodies they have a permanent place in God's creation. They'll be renewed and transformed. But those bodies will never be done away with any more than the body of the Lord Jesus Christ will be done away with. And this creation is not going to be annihilated and removed. It is going to be renewed and transformed. And so we uh, come this morning to one of the key passages in Scripture that speaks of this transformation that's going to occur in the the new creation. Um, I've if you'll take out your uh, sorry, I've got some sheets that aren't supposed to be here. Uh, if you'll take out the the study that was handed out, I want to first go over the flow of thought in this this passage for you, and then. Um, And then we'll get to the outline. Now, there's a—he begins by this categorical statement that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's this beginning comparison, and he says, "For the creation awaits with eager longing." Now, always you want to ask, "What's the connection here?" And I've tried to give you an idea of the flow of thought here. The glory to be revealed far outweighs our suffering because even the creation is waiting for this glory that is coming. That's the feel of it, you see. It is so glorious, the whole creation is caught up in awaiting this glory that is to come. That's what I'm saying. It's far beyond any suffering that we have in this world. And he says... In the next passage, in verse 24 again, and he's saying, he's he's just trying to build that point up. Why is this the case? Why is creation waiting for this? Because it was subjected to futility in hope of this thing that's to come. So he's explaining why creation is waiting. It was subjected to this futility, but in hope, in hope in expectation of the coming of this glory. And he underscores how serious it is in verse 22. There's a groaning. It's the pains of childbirth. And then finally, returns again to the, what's the central focus is the children of God themselves. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan as we wait eagerly for this adoption. Interesting that creation groans, we groan, and in the next passage in verse 26 and following, the Spirit groans. A lot of groaning going on in this old creation. And the Spirit Himself is involved in this groaning and and encouraging and building this groaning as all of creation is fixed on this one hope. And this one hope is the revealing of the children of God. It's really hard to get your mind around the dignity that is given to us and that all of creation is rushing to that point of the revelation not only of Jesus Christ, but the revelation of the very children of God. And so we begin then with that comparison. When he talks about sufferings here, he's, he's likely talking about not only the sufferings of persecution, but the general sufferings, sufferings of this life because Christ entered into the whole of suffering. The whole suffering of this environment, of this world, he entered into it in his humanity and died to it and entered into his glory. So the whole summation of suffering is involved in this statement. But he says, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul had said a similar thing earlier in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, listen how similar this is. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Again, the the smallness of this and the bigness of that. Just for instance, imagine little Weston Cox is on one side of a seesaw. okay, And along comes Chris Komoto, who some of you know is the guard for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who weighs 344 pounds. And so he comes running up like Fat Albert in the Bill Cosby thing when they were playing Buck Buck. You remember if you've heard that thing. And he just takes a rushing leap and piles in on the other side of that seesaw where would Weston be? The question would be, where would Weston stop? (laughs) He would be launched into orbit, you know. Houston, this is the Challenger. There is a boy playing on a satellite right here. And if you tried to compare them, you know, it's like rhinoceros. Dachshund, you know, there's no comparison in the size and that's the feel of this. It's like if you were having some financial uh, pressures and you needed to make a little extra money and so you decide that you're going to do some bricklaying one Saturday in a hot summer in Fort Worth. And so you begin work that morning and you're not really used to it. Your legs are aching, your, your back is aching, your arms are hurting. You can't believe how heavy these bricks are. And by noon, you just don't know if you're going to be able to make it. But then you've got the whole afternoon, and now the heat really sets in. And so you're just sweating profusely, or if you're a woman, you're glowing brightly, and it just gets worse and worse. You almost black out several times. You have to catch yourself over and over. Finally, the end of the day, finally. And you go home, and you're talking to your husband or your wife or your good friend, and, uh, they say, well, how did it go? How much did you make? And you said, 200. Well, that's pretty good. Construction, you know, beginning 25 bucks an hour. That's, that's good. And you say, no, 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 I don't mean 200. 200 million dollars. What? No, that's not all. And they bought me a new 5,000 square foot house. And I've got three new cars, a yacht, and a jet. And a membership at Colonial for lifetime, you know. For one day of work, it was hard. And you almost blacked out and you didn't know if you're going to make it through it. But the reward doesn't even compare, does it? It's not even close to a one day of work. That's the feel of this passage. That even if you have 85 years of unrelented suffering day and night... It is but a piece of grass on an endless seashore compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then he speaks of the revealing of uh, that glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, the word to doesn't mean here, this little Greek word that it's, that we're onlookers you know we're just in the stand seeing this glory from afar but this means that this glory apprehends us this glory takes us over it is bestowed on us we are taken up in this glory and reflect this glory this glory is revealed to us and has us and we become a part of it The amazing thing is that the revealing of the sons of God in verse 19 means a glory that is to be revealed to us. It is said later in verse 21, it's the glory of the children of God. And so this glory to be revealed means that it is shown what we are as the children of God. Our glory shines forth. And if you look on the back page of the sheet that we handed out, you notice the... Bold text. Here's that word glory, the Greek word doxon I thought this would be encouraging to you, and you, you can look up these passages and read them more fully, but to see how much the Scriptures talk about this and how many ways it talks about it. Just in general, Peter, talking about himself, says, I'm an elder and, and an apostle, and I'm a partaker of the glory to be revealed. And he speaks to these elders and says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Just a a creative way to say that you will be glorified in that day. But notice how it's connected to Christ himself. For in 1 Corinthians 1, 7 there, he says, "You're, you're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the wait when he is revealed. But then Peter says, that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So when the Lord Jesus, in the, when He comes again, He will be revealed, His glory will be revealed, and then we will participate in it. As Peter speaks, and, and if Scripture didn't say this, you would think it's blasphemous. But when he speaks of praise and glory and honor there in 1 Peter 1, it's not talking about praise and glory and honor to Christ. Of course, He is the focus of that praise and glory and honor. But in some way, because of our identification with Him, only because of our union with Him, only because we are made glorious like Him in His humanity, there is praise and honor and glory. And so he can say in the next passage, 2 Thessalonians, at the revelation of Christ, he will be glorified how? In his saints. His glory will be shown forth in the glory that he gives his saints as they image his glory, this multitude that has taken on the glory of the humanity of Christ. And so he can say, In Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. He appears, we appear in glory. And then this, to me, is one of the most amazing statements in 2 Thess 2.14. To this He called you, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't speaking of being deified. It's not talking about that you're going to become God like the church, uh, the, the Mormons teach. You're going to be a God and you're going to have a, a world and you're going to populate that world with spirit children, etc. We honestly, openly say it is blasphemy, okay? Blasphemy that they would say that creatures somehow become non-creatures and become God and that this God that rules this world one time was in the same boat, a creature that now is God over His world. And it just goes on in millions and millions of worlds around the universe. Spiritually insane. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus Christ having taken upon flesh, died on the cross for the sins of His people, for the sins of mankind, and then He is resurrected and exalted into this state of glory as a man. and And realize... He took our humanity to that place. He took our humanity into that glory. And so it is a matter of time that the fulfillment will occur when we will be raised in the final day, our bodies transformed and resurrected in a similar way so that we take on the very glory of Jesus Christ. Now that's one of the reasons why we can let go of this world's opposition to Christ. That's why we can let go when it comes between having something and serving Christ or belonging and being accepted by people or taking a stand and refusing to deny Him and oppose Him. Because no matter if we lose everything, no matter if we are regarded as the most foolish of people, most ridiculous of people, Glory and honor on a scale that we cannot imagine awaits all the children of God. And he says there in 1 Peter, he's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. It's as though the whole point of your calling to belong to Christ is being called into that eternal glory. That's how much a part it is of your salvation. It's Not just part B, it, it is the whole point in the end of your salvation. I've called you, yes, to endure and yes, to manifest me. But I've called you to this ultimate purpose that you would have the eternal glory in Christ. And then it's very specifically a bodily glory. As he says in Philippians 3, he will transform when he comes our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Or Paul talks about the change that will occur. Our bodies now are sown in dishonor. They will be raised in glory. And then you can read these passages that talk about God's plan even before the foundation of the world. His very choosing us, His very calling us. The plan from the beginning was in the end, every single one of these people that I set my love upon, that I call to myself, they all would be honored and glorified in that final day. It's His whole salvation. And so Paul can give us the whole scope in that second passage in Second Timothy 2. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And of course, the golden chain that many have called it in Romans 8. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Even past tense... To get across the point, it's as good as done. There's no question as to whether it's going to happen or not. Because every single one he predestined and called and justified, he glorified. It's done. You are headed for that. And, of course, that's the hope that we have. That's the hope expressed in this passage and in other places. The great hope of the glory of God. We hope in nothing less than that. As he describes it there in, in Romans five two. we hope... In the glory of God. Now, this, one of the things I want to say right at the outset is that one of the problems with the way most people think about heaven is they don't think of it as an earthly thing. They think of it as many people still even think that you, you turn from a human being into an angel, you know. Have you got your wings yet? You know, that's a common thing. That you'll some In fact, movies, you know, somebody will come back and he's an angel now because he used to be a human being. Now he's an angel. Well, that doesn't happen, okay? Just doesn't happen. We always are human beings. We're bodies, spirits, and they are spirits. And we're the ones that c- keep our bodies eventually through the resurrection. But the other part of that is most of us find it very, very hard to go from Eating peach ice cream, uh, hugging children, walking around with and seeing the trees, uh, be, seeing the seashore, uh, enjoying the many parts of creation and the many parts of culture. And we're going to trade that in for a heart floating around on a cloud. Most guys out there are just think, are thinking, I hope I live a thousand years. <laughs> Honestly. Because you can't conceive of what you're going to be doing. You can't conceive of this disembodied light. like, I won't have a body, what am I going to be doing? And it's because we have lost so much of our teaching about the nature of the final glory. That it is not only that the glory of the children of God will be revealed, but the whole of creation itself will be caught up into this new world that God will bring to us. Well, more about that uh, a little bit later. He as well talks about... And this this seems strange that he uses this uh, phrase in verse 23. He says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And what strikes us odd about that is you kind of think, well, I thought I was adopted... In fact, we studied it last week. Verses 14 through 17. Uh, you've received the spirit of sonship or adoption. Adoption of sons. We cry out, Abba, Father. We are children and we're heirs. We're already heirs. We're already children. But this shows the importance of that final glorification because your adoption must have that as its object. Your adoption must have this this point, this rushing toward its culmination, its whole reason for being. And it will not till then be fully manifested who and what you are. So that in a real sense you can say we're awaiting our adoption. The papers are done. We belong to Him. We are His. We're in route, so to speak. But the full manifestation, the full unveiling is yet to come. That's why he can say that the the, the creation is longing for what? The revealing of the sons of God. And then in another place, he calls it the adoption. Well, we're reminded then of the passage in John, where John says, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. It's not there, you can't see what we are, can't see yet what, I mean, what we will be. It's not appeared what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we await that transformation when there'll be a full unveiling of the true nature of our sonship, the true nature of our being children, the Not only the revealing of glory that's catching us up in this glory, but that becomes the unveiling of the children of God. The very adoption as sons that we will experience in that day. And along these lines, he speaks of, in verse 23, uh, the first fruits of the Spirit. This is an interesting phrase. It indicates that if there is first fruit, then there's the whole harvest. So it's a way to say... It's begun and it's connected to the whole and the whole will come. So that you and I have the Spirit as first fruits. It's also interesting because uh, the day of Pentecost was the day of first fruits or the celebration of the first of the harvest. And that's the day the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And so quite appropriately, he says, the Spirit is this first fruit for us to show the harvest is on its way. There's no reason for a first fruit unless there's a harvest. And so the full harvest of the glory of God that is to break out for us is coming in God's time and His perfect working out of His purpose for us. But we have those first fruits now. And then finally, he names it specifically in uh, verse 23. The adoption as sons is specifically what? The redemption of our bodies. Now, we downplay our bodies. We still have so much Greek thought mixed in with our thinking in, in the church. And we downplay the, the importance of it in the history of the church, even in uh, the ch- history of the early church, Greek thought was so strong that Paul, as we've talked about before, had to warn the Corinthians against against lascivious living, against evil desire and sexual wickedness because they were thinking that it didn't even matter what you did with your body. Because eventually the body will be cast aside, will be set free from this prison and will finally enter into the pure spirit world that we were intended to be, intended to have. And so the body is looked at as a house and the real you is inside. Now, I know I've said this several times, but I still want to use it in this case some of you haven't heard it. It's like in Alabama at a funeral. Um, you'll hear something like this there's a casket in front of the minister, and he'll say, Bill is no longer with us. Bill is with Jesus. Okay? And you get his point, you know, that Bill is with Jesus, but it's wrong to say, Bill is no longer with us. And he'll even say, this is not Bill. Bill is no longer with us. Bill is with Jesus. As though this body is nothing. As though this body isn't Bill. It is Bill. And that's not good. (laughs) It's not good that that body is going to have to be put into a grave. And that's not good that that body will rot. It's not good that that body is, is committed now to corruption. And God does not think it's good. And that's why God will redeem that body. And amazingly, we are not fully adopted and don't fully manifest our adoption and belonging to God until our bodies are resurrected. That's how important your body is. That's what a part of you your body is. And so we never, never want to say the real me is inside. The real me is just as much body as it is spirit or soul. And that's why it's so important what we do with our bodies, what we look at, what we think, what we feel. All the things of our bodies are, are very important. And it's very important to then set our hearts upon the fact that we will always be embodied. In, there will be a time, and, and this is interesting, in Scripture, the, the thought is hardly ever about going to heaven as a disembodied spirit. It's very interesting. There are two, uh, everybody will say, there are two places. Philippians 1 talks about dying and going to be with the Lord, and 2 Corinthians 5 talks about dying and going to be with the Lord. But every other place is talking about resurrection. And we call that state in theology the intermediate state. It's not the final state. And as we said before, even the people in heaven are saying, how long? When will you fully vindicate our blood on the earth? When will you fully transform all things? How long? We kind of think of everybody at heaven's at rest, and they're not really thinking about what's going on in earth, and they don't care because, man, they're just in the presence of Jesus. And no, they're not. They are in the presence of Jesus. And they are made perfect, and their, their sin is done with, and any pain of body is done with, yes, but as disembodied spirits, they are looking for that day when they will be restored to their bodies. That's the hope all the way through the scriptures. Now, there couldn't be anything more offensive to the Greek thinkers, Gnostics and others. This, in fact, they were highly offended. They would not confess that, the Lord, that God is the maker of heaven and earth. They wouldn't confess that. Because the heaven and earth should never have been here in the first place. But one of those many gods up there fell down and made it, and he shouldn't have. But finally, one day, we'll get back out of this mess, and we'll just be spirits again. No, God made the world. He loves his world. He, lo- he made us as bodies, and he's, and he's going to keep these bodies. He's going to renew these bodies. And we're going to be embodied people living on a renewed earth. Now, honestly, that's something you can sink your teeth into. That's something that we can get excited about. That we will have uh, real relationships, a real culture on this earth, a real enjoyment of God as He is present with us and real perfect relationships of love to one another, a building of culture that's not marred by war and mistreatment and hatred, but a glorious manifestation of God's glory in every area of life as we continue to bring honor to God forever and ever in a renewed earth. That's the vision that's set forth here. It's interesting, Marcion, one of these Greek thinkers, actually cut out verses 18 through 22. He, 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 as many people know, he had an abbreviated Bible, you know, and he cut out a lot of things that he didn't like as a heretic. That's one of the passages he cut out. Creation renewed. We can't have that because we're going to be disembodied spirits one day. What was Paul thinking? God's way more earthy than we think he is. And we talk about saving the planet. Jesus is going to save the planet. He's going to save the whole planet because it's his planet. And what's interesting about this too is when we talk about all the pleasures of this world will finally be gone. Well, in the sense of pleasures that oppose God, yes. Any pleasure or desire that opposes God, that will be gone. But the legitimate pleasures of his creation, gone forever? No. No. No, they'll be enjoyed finally perfectly, finally in the presence of God, finally as we were meant to enjoy them. Because there'll be a new earth and new bodies that enjoy it. A new capacity and energy to enjoy it. And so our whole thinking about this creation, you know, when it talks about being a pilgrim passing through this world. It means a pilgrim ethically passing through this world that opposes God. Not that we're passing through creation and then we're going to leave creation behind the rest of our life. No. You know who's going to be thrown off the creation? The wicked. The wicked get thrown off the property. They get dispossessed because they do not worship the owner. They do not worship the Lord God. They have turned away from Him, though He even sent His own Son entering into humanity, entering into their sin, identifying with them, bearing their punishment, and then offering a relationship of favor and acceptance through the accomplishment of His own Son. What love to give this to people who had renounced their privilege of it, who had renounced that God and yet the Lord Jesus says, I will win it for them and they will become my younger brothers and they will reign with me in the new world. Staggering, staggering accomplishment on the part of God for sinners who had turned their backs upon Him. And so the meek as Jesus said, "Shall inherit the earth, inherit the earth." And, and and you'll see on the back more statements of the same at the at the at the top that he, the Lord Jesus, reconciles all things to Himself. All things will be united in Him. In Acts three, Peter talks about the time for restoring all things, and then those last passages that talk about the new heaven and the new earth. And so, this is our Father's world. This is our Father's world. These are our Father's bodies that He's made. And they'll be made perfect, and all sickness will be removed, and all weakness will be removed. As Paul says in that glorious passage in 1 Corinthians 15, as he begins to talk about the difference, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. In a sense, you know, in that final day, by his grace, we all become a kind of superhero. If you could meet any one of us, then your jaw would drop to the floor. What kind of creature is this? What kind of glory is this? And it's all undeserved. It's all of grace. And I urge you, anything that the world offers you to turn away from Christ is a lie. It's a lie. That you would think, I'm going to carve out my own life and my own future, my own destiny, apart from this God. Nothing can begin to approach the destiny God has for His children. Nothing can begin to. Just on the sheer weight of your self-interest, you know, of, of grabbing as, as Scripture, as, as Lewis says, unabashedly holds forth the promises of God. is not embarrassed to appeal to your own interest in being blessed. Blessed is the man Blessed is the man who entrusts himself to this God. Cursed is anyone who will not trust this God. Lies surround us. There is one truth that the children of God who belong to God will one day inherit the earth. Will you become one of them? Will you join us? Will you confess as well, Lord God, I'm a sinner? Oh, Lord, I have no hope to be forgiven. I have no hope to change my life. I have no hope to fix everything that I've messed up. I come in and trust myself to you. And I trust my whole eternal future into your gracious hands. Think of the meaning of this passage with all this in view. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all how will He not with Him freely give us all things? All things. Let us pray. O Lord, we praise Your great name. Lord, what You have planned, as Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Lord, I'm reminded how suspicious I am of You. How little I trust You at times. How quickly I turn away from you. How quickly I misread your providence to think you're ignoring me, you've rejected me, you're against me. Oh, Lord, unbelief just waits around the corner wherever we turn. And here are these two monumental things. You've given your Son and, and you've given us all of creation. As, as Paul goes on to say... The world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Lord, may it cause us all the more to leave our pet sins, turn away from those things that we know are flat refusals of your word, flat refusal to submit to you because we do not and are not trusting you. Lord, we are weak. Fix our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fix our hearts on all that you've accomplished and will do for us. May it give us hope, encouragement, strength, energy to give ourselves vigorously in glad obedience and honor and praise to our great God. These things we ask in the precious name of Christ.
1: Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh come with blissful ray, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?